fast can you see results with T3? How quickly do you see changes in your body with hormone therapy? What about all these new trends of different diets out there? What's gonna work for you if you have Hashimoto's? What if you're just battling menopause and you're not quite sure what to do with your estrogen? What if you're too high estrogen? What if you're too low estrogen? What if you had breast cancer in the past? Should you use hormone therapies? These are all the questions that I get on a daily basis. So I love doing these Q and A's because they're coming directly from you. These are your questions that are plaguing you, that you have on a daily basis about your health and your wellness and your hormones and your thyroid. So this is a hodgepodge episode, but oh, so good. And these are your questions answered live. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. I love these podcasts the best. I love these meetings the best. I love the Q and A's because it's you, it's my audience, literally bringing your questions, your woes, your symptoms, your frustrations, your stories to the table for us to delve into and weed through and really try to help you and help you gain the answers that you absolutely need. So I personally love it. And this is a really good one. I like to mention this one because I've heard it more than one time. So this is Karen. She's asking if I have added T3, liothyronine, to my regimen and I've begun to sweat a lot more. Is this a good sign or a bad sign? Note, I also for years have taken T4 only And many of Dr. Amy Horneman's supplements. So thank you, Kara, for taking the fixer line. I'm sure it has helped you tremendously. And here's the thing. When you are getting optimized, when we add in T3, because T3 is, we'll call it a stimulant because it does have a stimulant effect. I mean, for sure, it absolutely does. So when we add in T3, you're increasing your metabolism. You're increasing all metabolic processes. So that's why when we talk about adding T3 in and your hair growth cycle all all of a sudden speeding up and then people say, oh my gosh, I'm losing more hair. Well, that's just your metabolism. So when I say metabolism, yes, that is fat burning, but it's all body functions too. It's your hair growth. It's your temperature control. And this is where it starts to apply to you, Kara. As your metabolism increases or as even the process of burning stored body fat increases, you can get an increase in your basal body temperature. And basal body temperature is actually one of those vital signs that we measure when we start someone sometimes. I don't do this with every patient, but you will see this in the different thyroid Facebook groups. Janie Bothorp writes about it, that taking your vital signs 
after you start taking T3 actually can show and track improvement. So when we take things like your body temp, first thing in the morning, first thing, as soon as you open your eyes and you want to take this body temperature before you take your T3. So body temperature, heart rate, and blood pressure, we should see as you are getting optimized and adding that T3 into your regimen and hopefully working with someone that knows what they're doing and not keeping you on five micrograms of T3 because it's itty bitty. When you're adding in that T3, your body temperature starts to rise as your metabolism starts to burn. That's why we call it get the fire burning. There's something to that in terms of increasing your body temp. You're going to kind of feel it. You're going to feel a warmer sensation in your body. And for some people, it can get a little uncomfortable. Maybe you sweat a little bit more. Now, for most of you, I've heard the stories of, oh my gosh, I haven't sweated at the gym. Like I'm a non-sweater, if that's a word. But now all of a sudden, I'm actually sweating. And that's a good thing. That's your detox pathways working. You should sweat. If you don't sweat, that's a problem. Just FYI. That's a problem with your detox pathways. That's a usually an insight into a deeper problem. I've heard many of you say you get in the sauna and don't sweat. That's a huge problem. So as we start increasing your metabolism, your body temp is going to go up. You're going to get warmer. Now, here's where we have to balance things out. Here's where we have to say, well, can you become comfortable with it? Can you change your ambient temperature? to become more comfortable with your new metabolism? Or do we have to back off on your T3 a little bit? Now, for me, I hate the heat. Many of you know that about me. I say it all the time. Hate the heat, sleep in 65 degrees, and keep my house at around 67 to 68, ongoing through the day. Many people have come over with their sweaters and their jackets because they know it's kind of a refrigerator in Amy's house. But that's how I like it. If I go somewhere and let's say somebody supposedly has the AC on, but it's set at what, 75, 72, that's too warm for me. No go. Mm -mm. And anything, any temperature above 80, I'm miserable. But I will take that as opposed to reducing my T3 and gaining weight and being tired and losing my hair. I can get cooler. It's not always easy, but I can get cooler. Here's the differentiating factor though. And to kind of dive into Kara's question a little bit more, is it low estrogen or is it increased metabolism? So with low estrogen, you can also get hot flashes. It's not going to be an overall body sensation of being warmer. It's going to be that flash. It's going to be, and all my menopausal women out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's that sensation that comes over you that is like a heat wave and you start to sweat. I mean, this will mainly be at night. We hear the term night sweat, but it can occur throughout the day too. This is where you'll see movies depicting a woman standing in front of the freezer with the freezer door open and her head in it. That's a hot flash. So you have to kind of tune into your body and pay attention to the differentiating factors of what is it? Is it that you're just a little bit warmer? Or is it that you are having a low estrogen moving into perimenopause, menopause, hot flash? So that's where we have to differentiate. So let's see. This one is from Carrie. She says, hi, I'm new here. 
but I've been on Levo 75 micrograms for at least 10 years. Changed my diet, avoid sugar, seed oils, all those things. Been feeling way better. I'm taking thyroid fixer supplement. Only taking it for two days, but I like it so far. That's cool, Carrie. Prior though, been having palpitations again. Had a thorough cardiac workup a few months ago. Heart is fine. I remember taking a higher dose of Levo and this happened too. Has anyone taken their doses every other day? I was thinking of trying that. No, Carrie, no. Here's what you got to do. Number one, you're on T4 only. So when we're talking about heart palpitations, we can get heart palps when you just simply add in T3. Some people will get just a palpitation. Now there's a difference between heart racing and tachycardia and a few just palpitations here and there. And Weston Childs talks about this as well. We, we talked about it on the joint podcast that we did. That, you know, sometimes we'll hear people say that they have heart palpitations and they'll be working with a doctor and the doctor will rip them off of T3 and they'll say, that's what's causing. And it's the T3 that causes AFib, that causes tachycardia. Well, did you test them? Did you test that person to see if their free T3 is elevated? To see if they are in a true hyper state? Did you do an EKG on them to actually see what the heart rate is? Have you asked them to track the heart rate through the day, maybe wear a wearable? And then that way you as a patient can actually see, listen, am I getting just some palps, little some blips here and there? Or is my heart going to like 175 as I'm sitting in the chair working? If you're running a marathon or basically doing cardio at your desk, that's not a good thing. That is tachycardia. That is too high of a heart rate and something needs to be adjusted. If you're having heart palpitations, that can actually be from being hypo or from having an elevated reverse T3. So Carrie, you're on 75 micrograms. You've been on T4 only for 10 years. And again, I will say this stat over and over again till the day I die. 2% of the population does well on T4 only. 98, 98% do their best on a combination of T4 and T3. So the chances of you, Carrie, falling into that random 2% of people that you're doing so well on T4 and all you have to do is take it every other day. No, no. I want you to get your reverse T3 tested. I want you to work with a doctor that knows what the hell they're doing and will do something other than T4 only. And then we can address your heart palpitations because if that reverse is above 12 and if you have all the other symptoms. So you mentioned the heart pops, but you didn't mention whether or not are you gaining weight? Are you tired? Are you losing hair? Are you constipated? Do you have joint pain? All the things that go along with hypo. So if that's the case, then we absolutely like a bajillion percent need to adjust your thyroid medication. But just the fact that you're on T4 only, that tells us that we have to adjust your thyroid medication alone because you're probably not part of that 2%. And quite honestly, even of that 2%, I would argue, show me that 2% and I'll tell you whether or not they're actually optimized or if they're just brainwashed by their doctor to think that they're doing okay because their thyroid labs are normal, quote unquote. I sat next to a woman on a plane this was about a year ago. And we were talking about T4 only, hypothyroidism. Of course, you know, you ask, what do you do? What do you do? And she said, you know, I'm on Synthroid and I'm great. 
I, I think I'm, I'm fine. I'm, my doctor tells me that I'm normal and all my labs look good. And I mean, no judgment. Listen, you guys can be happy at any weight. As long as you're happy with your body, that's cool with me. But there's also a point at which carrying around too much weight and this whole, you know, being confident in your body thing, at what point do we cut it off and say, yeah, you can be comfortable and you can rock your confidence, but you're at a weight that is going to cause issues. We know that obesity and carrying extra body weight around comes with type 2 diabetes and increased risk of heart disease and increased risk of cancers, cancer feeds on glucose, like, and why you can't lose weight. I mean, listen, if you're sporting the standard American diet, eating in McDonald's and sheets and snacking on your Ritz crackers and cookies at night, that's on you. And something's probably going to come of it, right? You're probably going to get diabetes. It's probably going to, unless you're a genetic freak, probably going to backfire. And you're going to get some health issues down the road, if not sooner than later. But if you are trying all the things and you're eating clean and you're carrying around the extra weight and you're just trying to be okay with it, but yet, you know, I'm not comfortable. I am not comfortable. My back hurts because literally I, I have an extra 25 pounds that I'm carrying around, 50 pounds that I'm carrying around, but I don't have any diseases yet, but I'm not comfortable. That's a red flag. That means you're not optimal. Don't let your doctor tell you your numbers are optimal. And that's what I would argue with the woman on the plane. She said that she was optimal. I'm sure her doctor told her she was optimal. But by no means did I see optimal. I saw an issue that needed to be addressed. Okay. Keep the questions coming. So I have one from Meg. She says, can free T3 be too high? And it can. So let's break down all the times that it can and when you might see an elevated free T3 too high. So number one, let's say you are actually hyper. So this is the profile of a true hyper thyroid person. TSH is going to be suppressed. Free T3 and free T4 will be elevated. And that individual will report hyper symptoms. They will say that they are, I call it icky and sticky. They will say that they are jittery and uncomfortable and just, I don't feel comfortable in my skin. I feel like I'm crawling out of my skin and I have insomnia and I'm more anxious. And maybe they're losing hair. Maybe they're losing weight. I've seen hyperthyroidism without the weight loss as well. They could be getting some thyroid eye disease, bulging of the eyes. That is true hyper. Oh, and all the symptoms that we just talked about, the tachycardia, the elevated heart rate. These are the people that will report that they're literally sitting there. I go, what's your watch say? I'm like, well, I'm sitting here and it says like 140. I'm like, that's a problem. That's a little bit too high if you're sitting at your chair. So for those people, we would classify them as hyper. We have another group that might have an elevated free T3. And to those people, as soon as I see it, I go, did you take your medication before you got these labs done? And normally they say yes. Because I've shared mine. I did a little screenshot of it. This is about a month ago. Where just for shits and giggles, I took my T3 medication before I went to the lab because I just wanted to see. And many of you know, I'm on 75 micrograms twice a day. So I took that 75 before I went to the lab, about four hours, four hours is the T3 peak. 
And I came back with a free T3 of above a 20. Now, we all know what conventional medicine would tell me, right? You're hyper and you're going to lose bone and you're going to have a heart attack and give me that T3. I'm taking it away from you. Now, let's say I got caught up in the conventional system like many of you have been. And let's say they did that. You would see me a week from now, 10 pounds heavier and thoroughly depressed. So I wouldn't be on here with you. My brain would start to shut down. I'd stop functioning very well. In a couple of weeks, I'd probably be 20, 25 pounds heavier, losing some hair, constipated, super fatigued. I'd start forgetting your names, forgetting what I had to do, forgetting meetings, all because some doc looked at my free T3, never bothered to ask me if I just took my medication, never thought through the process of maybe she has some T3 in her system that just jacked this number up. Maybe she took biotin before her labs. Biotin's probably not going to push you over a 20, FYI, but it will artificially raise your free T3 level. All of these things need to be asked if you come back with an elevated free T3. The whole picture needs to be looked at. You need to be looked at as a whole person. Questions need to be asked about how you're feeling. Those four most important words, how do you feel, need to be addressed. Now, I did another little experiment. I did not wait. I always tell you all to make sure you wait 18 to 24 hours. So you want to pick that time. Let's say you normally take your T3 in the morning. And then let's say you take it again at two in the afternoon. And you're going for your labs the next day, we'll say at 7 a.m. Well, okay, that's that 17-hour block. That's almost enough. I like 18 to 24, so I would just tell you, like, why don't you go to 8 a.m.? So you have that 18-hour gap. Now, every time you take your labs, every time you redo labs, it should be that same 18 hours. You don't want to do it this time and do 18 And then next time you do 25 and the next time you do 36 because you forgot, you won't have an apples to apples comparison. You want that apples to apples comparison. Otherwise, you're going to say, my T3 went down. I go, well, did it go down or did you wait long? Oh, yeah, that's right. I waited longer. I went 26 hours this time. I did 18 hours last time. You want to be consistent with the amount of time between your last dose and when you go for your laps. So I did an experiment where I went, I want to say I did about 16 hours and my free T3 was still above, it was still flagged high, it was still red, but now it's like 5.6. If I go a full 24 hours on the dot, that's when I'm coming back with the optimal free T3 in the upper quadrant of the range, usually like a 3.5-ish. If I go longer than that, And here's me expanding on this lesson and really driving this point home for you. If I go longer than that, because I have gone 36 hours before, again, experimenting, shits and giggles, my free T3 comes back at a 1.7. So you can see the difference. 24 hours is a 3.5. 36 hours, it drops to a 1.7. So that is why it is vital that you remain consistent with the time between your last dose of T3 and your labs. And this is T3, Cytomel, Lyothyronine, Armor, NP thyroid, compounded T4, T3, anything with T3 in it, it will get picked up. 
So you need to do the same amount of time. Now back to the 5.6, got flagged high. Is that truly high? No. So this is where if I have a patient that comes back, let's say with a 5.6, right? Their free T3 is flagged high. And the free T4 looks fine. That's not flagged high. They're reporting back and going, you know, I, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty steady. You know, maybe my energy could be a little bit better, but I, I'm all right. I'm good. Finally losing weight, you know, down some pounds. We let it go. Would I call that person hyper because their free T3 is flagged high at a 5.6? No, you have to listen to the person again. How do you feel? You always have to answer that. That's going to be the most important information that you can give anybody that you're working with. How do you feel? Because that is your body telling you exactly what's going on with your body. I don't have tachycardia. I'm not anxious. I'm not jittery. I'm not icky and sticky. I am fine. So that's why we always say that free T3 optimal is the upper quadrant of the range or over. And I always give the or over to give some leeway for people like myself that might be really well-optimized in that range. Now, that being said, I have also had patients that have come back at a 4.5 or a 5, and they legit feel bad. They feel jittery. They feel like they're moving into that hyper state. That's when we reduce the dose. And when we listen to the patient and we make those adjustments accordingly, they feel so much better. They really do. So it's so individualized. To answer that question, can free T3 be too high? Boy, that was a 10-minute answer right there, Meg. But you can see there's multiple answers to that question. There's a yes, there's a no, there's a maybe. It all comes down to you. Okay, Joanne is asking, I've added in T3, 20 megs, twice a day, about two weeks ago. You're also on armor, 30 megs in the morning. How long does it take to see and feel a difference? Really good. Okay, so added in the T3 two weeks ago. You're on the armor in the morning. So with that T3, you know, you climb up to that. You might need to go higher, but 20 megs twice a day is a really nice place to hold because that next step up, we go to 25 and that's a whole different pill. That's a, that's a different script because T3 comes in fives and 25s. So as we're titrating someone up, we'll be using those fives. And then when we hit 20 and 20, that's where I like to kind of hang and get retested. You always want to give it a few weeks. I mean, here's the thing. You could be on the 20 and 20. You've been on it for two weeks. You'll probably be holding it for another like week or two, allowing that to work in your system. If you increase your dose of T3 too quickly, you might go into what I just talked about, that icky and sticky feeling. And then we have to reel it back. And then we have to go, okay, well, now we have to, we reel the back. Let's hold here for a while and see how you feel. And then maybe we make another tiny adjustment up or maybe we hold or maybe we're adjusting down again. Whereas if you go nice and slow and you really pay attention to your body. And, and when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with patients, we have a video for these patients of me taking you through all the different things of listening to your body, listen to the signals, moving up in the T3. Some of you will move up faster. Some of you may need to take tiny little baby steps, baby steps, baby steps to climb. 
everyone is different of how quickly they climb in their T3. So as you're moving up in that T3, it's getting in your system and it's doing that job. Now, one thing I tell all my patients, and I have a video for this too, patients grasshopper. We released it as a podcast a long time ago. So you can find it in the archives. But you have to have patience when you are getting optimized because you have to think about where you started. So I also use the analogy, your metabolism is like a wet pile of leaves, right? So we have this wet pile, we're coming in the fall. So this is be relatable. You got this wet pile of leaves and they're all matted down. You know, you got the dirt underneath them and you're like, I got to burn this pile of leaves, but I can't burn it. They're all mushy. I got to wait for they dry out. So we got to wait till they dry out or maybe we dry them out. And then we can start the kindling. So then we got to start, we'll, we'll do the old school days, right? We're like rub two sticks together, start the kindling, start the kindling. This is just the analogy of how slow it is to build your metabolism back up. We're starting the kindling. Got the little spark. Now we got the fire. Now it starts to burn. Oh, then it goes out. Okay, maybe we need to put some gasoline on the fire. This might not be for any park ranger out there listening. You might be like, no. Smokey the bear, you're going to start a forest fire. Just an analogy, just an analogy. So we start the kindling, we get the fire burning, got to put some gasoline on it, kerosene, whatever is an igniter. Maybe throw some logs on it, right? Put more leaves on it, the dry kind, you know, get that fire burning. We have to restart your metabolism. Most of you, most of the people that I work with start with that zero metabolism, Right. Free T3s in the toilet, testosterone's in the shitter with it, insulin resistance is on board, all of the things that relate to a metabolism, having energy, burning fat, clearing the brain fog, changing the diet over, lowering, you know, even that change from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, lowering that sugar load, that glucose load, lowering the insulin that is so inflammatory. That shift from being a sugar burner to being a fat burner can take months. If we're rebuilding your hormones, that can take 90 days. So I give all my patients a what to expect document too. So they can kind of track. So it's like, if we are addressing hormones, 90 days. If we are addressing thyroid, that, you know, you might start to see little glimmers of light, little sparks in the fire. You might start to see that really at the four-week mark. Once, and especially once you hit that optimal dose, once we do that climb in the T3, retest, see what things are, listen to you as a patient, how you doing? Okay, let's do another increase. So once we get you to that kind of coasting level, we're like, I think this could be it. You're going to start to see those changes. So every week, you know what? little bit better energy. Yeah. You know, my, my brain fog's a little better. I think my clothes are fitting better, but I haven't seen it on the scale yet, but I'm starting to see things shift. That's all I want to hear. Just that shift is telling us that things are working the right way. Now, as we start to move you into a more optimized state, that's where Usually like the two, three month mark, that's when the weight starts to come off. You'll see the movement on the scale. Clothes start to fit better. Energy usually is one of the first things that people notice is the energy and the brain lighting up, 
reduction in the poofiness of your face under eye bags and darkness under your eyes, that will start to diminish. You'll start to poop every day. You might start to sleep a little bit better. It's these little glimmers of change that start to happen. And that's where we know that we're on the right track. I have heard from patients, and I've said this in the past too, makes me smile, cracks me up a little bit. But let's say they're you know, two, three months in. I'm, I'm so frustrated. I've only lost three pounds, four pounds. I go, well, what was your body doing beforehand? Well, I was gaining. I couldn't stop gaining. So we're heading in the right direction, right? Because we literally brought you out of that deep, dark hole of gaining to finally not gaining to now losing where your metabolism is shifting in the gear now. Your body is using its stored fat for fuel. That's a beautiful thing. And then they go, oh, yeah. And I remind them, this isn't Instagram before and after day. This isn't a get rich quick scheme, right? It's, it's, it's not a Kim Kardashian ad. You are transforming your metabolism. And I got to tell you all those before and after ads that you see too on Instagram for different products that claim to lose 10 pounds in 10 days. Can I just tell you person to person, I'm going to tell you a story way back, way back in the days of competing. I worked for a supplement company and they knew I was getting ready for a show. So, you know, I mean, listen, whenever you first start getting ready for a show, you eat everything in sight because you're like, this is my last hurrah. This is it. I'm going into 12 weeks of hell. So you eat everything in sight. And they go, could you take me four pictures before you actually start getting ready for the show? I go, yeah. So, you know, you go out, you eat the sushi and the pizza and the ice cream. And then I get in a bikini and I stand there with my hair pulled back and no makeup. And then I slouch and I push my gut out. And I look all miserable and pissed off. And then they say, you know, obviously we'll give you the product, but could you also take your after shots? Like great right when you're ready for the show. So at that point, I had been dieting for 12 weeks. It wasn't just the product. It was me dieting for 12 weeks, going to the gym twice a day, total restriction, water depletion the last week of the show. I got spray tan. I got, you know, did my hair, did my makeup, took my after photos. And you know, they still, and this is, this is way before Photoshop and Instagram filters. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, 2006, maybe they still Photoshopped my arms and my waist to be smaller than it was days for me stepping on stage for a show. I didn't think I needed Photoshop at that point. I was pretty depleted. I think I was down to 104 pounds. But for the ad, that before and after ad, and hell, we don't even need, we don't even need people to do a show anymore and do a before and after. We can AI generate or companies, not we, companies can now AI generate before and after pictures that look a million percent real, like real people, and you won't know the difference. But damn, you will fall for that ad. And it will get in your head that this one thing, or I should be losing 10 pounds in 10 days too. No, you shouldn't. Unless you're a biggest loser contestant. And that's all you're doing. The human body doesn't work that way. 
And if you have an issue that you're dealing with, like a thyroid problem, like low testosterone, like insulin resistance, it's not going to happen that quickly. So I'm here to reset your expectations. Obviously, share some stories, reset your expectations and and pour some patience into you because this is a marathon and getting optimized for any of you on this journey, it's not linear. I will say it again and again and again and again. It is not a linear journey. You will experience improvements and you might experience setbacks and have to be tweaked a little bit. We do a dose change. We figure out what that, it's like peeling an onion too. Sometimes when I'm working with patients, it's like, okay, this is what we see immediately in the labs and we're moving along and it's like, oh, what else is going on with this person? Now we have to do a gut test. Now we have to do a cortisol test. Now we have to do some more testing. Maybe we get into the heavy metal mole component that they're not quite meh doing so well with, and it's peeling that onion, peeling that onion. And we see what is holding them up. So it's not a linear journey. You might do really well and then backtrack a little bit and then climb a little bit more and do well. And you're, you're flying high and you're feeling good. Oh no, I backtracked a little bit to which I always say it's very important whenever you get symptoms, if you are on that optimization journey, it's very important to stop and pause and say, Okay, if I'm fatigued, is this fatigue ongoing? Is it consistent? Has it lasted for more than two to three weeks every single day? Or is it just random bouts of fatigue? Because you're human, last I checked. So all of us have bad days. It doesn't necessarily correlate to a health condition or something that needs changed. Just might be that you had a bad day. Maybe you got glutened. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe you decided to drink alcohol and that screwed up your sleep. I mean, who knows? Who knows what it is? But you have to look for consistencies as well in your progress. Very important. Okay. This is Tracy. I believe I heard Dr. Amy say that women should have estradiol levels around a 50. And she says, or a little more, but it has to be, it's usually significant more. Trace, most women feel their best usually around like 80, 100, sometimes over a little bit over 100. So we look at that estradiol. We look at where you are in your cycle when you test it. We look at where you are in life, like perimenopause, menopause. We look at your FSH. When FSH starts to climb above that 25 mark, that's where we see the conditions of menopause, the weight gain, the hot flashes, the dry vagina, all of that come on. So when I say 50, that's the bare bones minimum to get your protection, your bone protection, your brain protection, your breast protection, your heart protection. I wanted to just kind of spur off on that for a moment. She says, I am nowhere close to that despite being on BHRT. She's asking for published studies that say that it takes a particular number of range on labs for bone protection versus clinical experience. This is definitely documented. Trace, you could go into, I always reference Dr. Lindsay Berkson and Dr. Felice Gersh. Those two women, I believe, just speak so well on the benefits of hormone replacement and specifically the benefits of estrogen. Although Felice, I mean, she'll go into, you know, we did a podcast on progesterone and PCOS. And so she'll speak on a a variety of different topics. I believe both of them have published studies 
on their websites. I know Dr. Lindsay has a Substack page and she also has, I believe, a, a membership to her Substack page too, where you can find references. There's another book by Abram Blooming called Estrogen Matters. And I, I didn't look in the reference section, but he also may have references in there. I, I bet you he does. I bet he does. That will tie back to the numbers and the protection and the limits that we have to have. Now you have to remember too, that when Women's Health Initiative Study was released, it was the largest, most expensive and worst done study to date in human history. There are two massive, what do I, what do I want to classify them as? Two major impacts to nationwide health that have occurred in the decades that we've all been living. And this is actually a quote from Peter Atia. He quoted and said that that Women's Health Initiative study was the biggest detriment to women's health overall that could have ever occurred. Since 2020, we've had one more that I would argue takes first place and fooled a lot of people, but is impacting a majority of health, a majority of, of women's health, from fertility to menopausal symptoms, to weight, to the inability to lose weight, to myocarditis, to heart. I'm going to put that at the top. I'm going to put the WHI second. Because at least the WHI, most of us know and have recognized, is not true. But yet some doctors, similar to the one in the first place, are still brainwashed into thinking that it's real and that that data should apply to all women, which is why they still scare you away from hormones. And these are doctors that haven't researched past leaving med school, unfortunately, and will believe anything that is fed into their ears by the WHO. So Women's Health Initiative study. It was a study on hormones. I'm summarizing. The issues with this study were that, number one, they took women that were already 10 years into menopause. So we know that the benefits of hormone replacement therapy, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, so I'll get to that in a second, the benefits of BHRT really have their greatest impact in the first 10 years of menopause. After you move outside of that 10-year span, you will still get symptom benefits, but you don't get the stackable bone, breast, heart, brain protection. You'll still get some. We're not saying like, listen, if you're 10 years postmenopause, don't use hormones. You will still get protection. You will still get benefits. You're just not going to get as many. And your response to those hormones might not be the same. So they took these women. They were already 10 years postmenopause. They gave them, ready for this, ladies, synthetic hormones. They gave them basically the equivalent to birth control, dried horse urine for the estrogen, and they use synthetic progestin like that, which is in birth control that we now give our young people. Silliness. So they use synthetic birth control, not bioidentical, and they did not screen for pre-existing conditions. And if you actually break down that study, get a data analyst in there 
and look at the P values and anybody that's done their dissertation or like did any kind of research, you're going to know the P values. P values give you that statistical significance. But it's basically like saying, well, we had one person out of 20,000 that didn't do so well. But when we looked at all of the people, there was one in this 20,000 and one in that 20,000 and one in that 20,000. So when we did the data, that p-value showed us that it was statistically significant. But when you broke it down, you go, wait a minute, really? But you had like, I'm just using numbers here. But you're telling me you had four people get cancer out of 80,000. And that's statistically significant? But wait, those four people... They had a history of cancer. Oh, wait, those four people, they were on synthetic hormones. But yet we extrapolate that hormones cause cancer from WHI. Again, I had, I'm sorry, Trace, I had to spin off and answer way more than what you asked (laughs) because I think it's relevant to say. I think it's relevant to bring up the WHI study Because again, it was the most expensive, worst study, second most detrimental thing to happen to all of our health, specifically women, in all of the decades that we have been walking this earth. So women everywhere back then, my mom included, were ripped off of hormones. And you wonder why we see these women, like my mom, dying of Alzheimer's, increase breast cancer numbers, like through the roof miserable menopausal symptoms, the see-through hair, the changes in the voice, the widening of the waist, the doctors telling you, well, your hot flashes and dry vagina, you just got to suck that up, just part of aging. Whereas when you hear my podcast with Cynthia Thurlow, menopause is a disease state because it opens the door to heart disease, to cancer, to Alzheimer's, to Parkinson's, to neurodegenerative diseases, and all the rest doesn't have to be, does not have to be, All right? We got a couple more. Alexis, my labs are not optimal. My bank account is also not optimal. Okay, girl. Ah, funny, but not, I get it. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm on HRT for perimenopause, but it's honestly not working. So, and then you say, how, how would you recommend getting the thyroid meds without out-of-pocket costs? My insurance and my doctor believe in acceptable range, so I cannot get around that so far. (sighs) Okay. First of all, with BHRT, you say that it's not working, but I don't know what you're on. I don't know your numbers. So maybe they don't have you on the right amount. Maybe they're not addressing all the things. So if your progesterone is low, if your estradiol is low, if your testosterone is low, you have to address all three. You also have to get that the thyroid optimized too, which you bring up. How do you recommend getting the thyroid meds without out-of-pocket costs? Well, there's no way. I mean, all medication costs and the hormones are usually compounded. There's no insurance that we have, at least in the United States, no insurance company will recognize or cover the compounded medications. So that's always an out-of-pocket expense. Now, there are a few for, for the prescriptions that you can pick up at a pharmacy. There are a few services out there like GoodRx. There's also Mark Cuban has his prescription service. Just search Mark Cuban prescriptions. And he has a service where he firmly believes in bringing patients 
wholesale costs on medications. It can get a little bit sticky. You have to have your doctor call it in. They don't have all the meds on there. I've heard a couple chirps of issues with it. I'm not quite sure what they are, but at least it's out there. It's out there as an option to obtain cheaper medications, affordable medications, especially if your insurance co-pays are through the roof, right? That would be my recommendation. And, you know, I'm sure if you post your question to, to the group, put it as a separate post instead of in here, you might get some more information from group members of maybe how they have gotten around finding less expensive sources for their hormones and for their medication. Now the hormones, some of them, I mean, listen, you could do over the counter too, but what I find is sometimes that can be even more expensive. So if you're using, let's say uh, a biased cream, which that can be over the counter, that can maybe do the job, but it might not be strong enough. Progesterone over the counter gets a limit cut off at around 50 milligrams. After you crest 50 milligrams of progesterone, a prescription is required, which is why when we get into the creams of progesterone, that has to be compounded. Oral progesterone is a prescription. You're not going to find that over the counter. There's some liquid progesterones that are okay. Designs for Health has a progesterone, and that can do the job. But again, it's like 25 to 50 milligrams. So if you're really needing 100 or 200, that's going to be needing to be prescribed. So I would say post it in the group and you can definitely get some more answers from the group members too. Rita, my hormones have flatlined. My estradiol dropped from 17 to less than two. Oh, I barely have any progesterone and my testosterone is 13. Well, so Rita, you need hormones. You need hormones, girl. Oh, I can't imagine how miserable you are. Okay, so estradiol, we want that. Like I mentioned earlier, we want it above a 50, but you're probably going to feel your best with it a little bit higher. So if we can get you up into like the 80 to 100 range, I think you're going to feel a lot better. Your low estradiol symptoms will improve when we get that number up. Less than two. I can't even, you know, I I, I want to say I've seen the estradiol number less than 15 a lot because that's usually the cutoff on the lab. I've given out first place trophies to my patients that have testosterone levels that are undetectable, usually less than three. There's a couple of you tied for first place with that. And progesterone, I see all the time as this postmenopausal progesterone, usually like a 0.3 or less than 0.3 or 0.5. The only way to address this, Miss Rita, is hormones. You need hormones prescribed to you, bioidentical. Now, in a situation like this, I would not recommend what I just said to Alexis. I would not recommend the -the over-the-counter. It's not going to be enough. A bias cream, an over-the-counter progesterone is not going to be enough. And with testosterone, yes, you can use hormone fixer to get it up, but you're a 13. We have to get you from a 13 to over a 50 for testosterone. It's going to take hormones. Hormone fixer will help. It definitely will. We could probably get you up to like a 30 from a 13, 30, 35, but you'd have to be on it for a long time for it to crest the 50. And we probably have to stack it with something else to really kind of push that testosterone a little bit. I might want to stack it with some DHEA. I might want to stack it with some extra Tonkanali if we have to go the natural route. But I mean, listen, girl, if you can just use hormones, use some hormones. Tracy, 
PCP, when asked to switch to estradiol cream versus patch, which changed twice weekly, yep, that I should, she said that I should use the cream only twice weekly, but twice a day on those days. I am so confused, Miss Trace. So if you're switching to a cream from a patch, you want to use the cream once or twice a day. I mean, that's about normal for an estradiol cream. So no, the cream is not twice a week. The patch is applied twice a week because the patch goes on and it just stays on. You literally leave it on for three and a half days and it's slowly delivering that estradiol to your body. Now, granted with any patch, you're going to get a little bit more of a bolus of estradiol in the beginning and it's going to kind of wear out as you get to that day three and a half, but then you change the patch out and then it's just delivering that day after day after day. It's not like you put the patch on one day, you get all the estradiol in one day and you wait three and a half days, then you get a boost of estradiol again. It's slowly delivering that to your body. So the same thing would apply for the cream. Why would we just use the cream twice a week? That doesn't even make sense. It has to be that daily application to keep it consistent and keep that in your body. All right, guys, last one, Kylie. What's your opinion on bioidentical hormone replacement after someone has had breast cancer, which tested positive for estrogen and progesterone? Guy and oncology say no way to any hormone supplementation, but is there another option for quality of life? Should this woman seek another opinion or provider? She's not gone through menopause yet. It's 52, has been on tamoxifen for two months, which basically tamoxifen is going to send her into menopause. In addition, like compounded with her age at 52, Tamoxifen is going to push her into menopause. Tamoxifen is for post-cancer treatment to decrease estrogen. She's miserable, having heavy periods. Now they're suggesting a full hysterectomy to fix the heavy bleeding. Oh, sure. Let's just take everything out because you're having heavy bleeding. For context, she had a progestin, progestin, like we talked about with the WHI, progestin only, IUD, a year prior to the breast cancer being discovered. Bingo. Bango, right there. She had an IUD, the Mirena, of progestin, which is a synthetic progesterone. What did the WHI study actually tell us? Maybe kind of, sort of, that synthetic hormones suck. And synthetic hormones absolutely can contribute to different cancers. Now, going back to your friend here, Kylie, This is where I would absolutely refer to Dr. Lindsay Berkson and I would actually have her reach out to her. I'm not sure if Lindsay is still taking patients or not. I mean, this woman, when I interviewed her, she was 72. Looks like she's 50. She is a breast cancer survivor, thriver, uses hormones herself, has for decades, uses them with her patients. Also to put it in context, I I listened to A4M, the Academy for Anti-Aging Medicine, great resource for all things hormones. They have the top speakers there. And I heard one woman, I forget her name. She was speaking about her practice. She's been doing bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for 30 years. She said, you know how many cases of cancer we've had? None. Zero. In 30 years, tens of thousands of women on BHRT. Zero. Felice Gersh, again, I'm going to refer back to her. Don't believe she had breast cancer, but big proponent of hormones, speaks on hormones. And then also check out my friend Karen Martell's podcast. 
She just changed the name. It used to be the other side of weight loss. Now it's the hormone connection. I love this woman. I don't know. You'll have to scroll through and see if she has one. I'm sure she does specifically with hormone use with cancer, but she would probably be interviewing Felice Gersh as well, or speaking from her personal experience and knowledge. I would absolutely tell her to get a second opinion because you're right. Number one, her quality of life is going to suck. Do not let them just rip out her uterus and ovaries to solve a heavy bleeding problem. That's usually the need for progesterone. And tell her to get a second opinion. Because why is it, if hormones caused cancer, wouldn't we see a bunch of 14, 15, and 16-year-olds with cancer? I mean, they have hormones surging, surging through their body. I don't know a lot of 14-year-olds with breast cancer. So because we know that hormones are protective, I would have her honestly get a second, third, and fourth opinion and consult with somebody like Dr. Lindsay Berkson that's been there and done that. She's a breast cancer survivor and she takes hormones and she gives them to her patients. Now, I'm sure in the oncology world, and this is not where I claim to be an expert, right? There are, just like you said, the E2 receptor and P2 receptor positive breast cancers. And I mean, they break it down to the tiny little receptors. So this is where you would need someone that regularly works with post-cancer treatment women with hormone replacement. So I would start with Lindsay and then I would even see, you know, where can it expand out and go from there? If she can't see patients one-on-one, then I would absolutely keep going and, and see if maybe she has any references for the docs that she'll refer out to that she knows are fantastic with post-breast cancer hormone replacement in women. Okay, you guys, I will be back in here on a regular basis because I love, love answering your questions live and chatting with you. So thank you so much for jumping on today. And I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, you can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right. I hope to see you soon.